I'm excited about the, this message series we're about to jump into. The title of this message series almost sounds blasphemous. Those of you online, uh, I apologize already. Those of you here, you can see that I'm apologetic already, but I truly believe this is going to touch and impact every one of us. It's not blasphemous. The title of this message series is this, If God Only Knew. If God only knew. I mean, what if God really knew everything? Well, He does. Well, does He? Do we really believe that God knows everything? And when I think about last week's message and talking about Peter, it's interesting to me because after the resurrection of, of Jesus, we see these ladies run down to the tomb and an angel is there and this angel or this young man who is sitting there, he says, go back and tell the disciples. And then he distinguishes Peter. He says, and Peter, because here's why. Everything that Peter had gone through, all of his hope and all the, the, the things that he had poured his life into over the previous three years, he now saw not only crucified on the cross, but dead on the cross. So Peter, he needed to be propped up. He needed to be backed up. He needed to be reignited. And for many of us today, we're the same way. We've gone back to our nets. We've gone back to the way things used to be. We had an excitement about Jesus, but now the life experiences and things in this life have stolen things from us to, to a degree that we wonder if God really knows. Does God really see me? You know, if God only knew how empty I've been since I lost my spouse, since I lost my child, since I lost my loved one, if God only knew how desperate I am in my job, in my family, in my life, if God only knew that I want to be loved and yet no one even sees me, if God only knew I want to be heard and no one even hears, if God really knew he would know the pain, the emptiness, the hurt, the loss I feel, if God really knew everything that is screaming out inside of me would be seen on the outside of me, but no one even sees me. Is God even there? You see, if this has ever been you, I want you to stay with me over the past few weeks. This is not a message series that I read somewhere. It's not, a, it didn't come from a book other than the Bible itself. It came from me sitting with the Lord and saying, what next? And this is, this is what jumped out at me. As a matter of fact, I wanted to write a book and I've got different titles and chapters for the book that I want to write. And the book's title would simply be, If God Only Knew. You see, if, if this has ever been you, I want you to hear me. God is listening. He does hear and He does care. And this message series is so off script for me because I don't like selfishness. I don't like the victimization state. I don't like poor pitiful me. And yet, I've known for months that I was to write this series. And to move forward, I'm going to tell you we've got to back up a little bit. We've got to look at, at Jesus as not only our answer, but possibly even the question. If you would please stand for the reading of the Scripture this morning. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. This is going to be very, very familiar with you simply because we just read this last week. But I want you to see this. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will be done, but yours. 
Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer, he went back to the disciples. He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray that you may not fall into temptation. You may be seated. Now, this is interesting to me because here we see Jesus in communion, if you will, with his Father. I don't think any of us would disagree about that. But we don't see his Father relating to him or responding to him in the way that Jesus would even hopefully think that he should. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 4, you'll find that, that Jesus is, is uh, baptized. And when he comes up out of the water, what do we hear? A voice from heaven spoke to those around saying something. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Another time we see Jesus and he's up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And while he's on this Mount of Transfiguration, uh, Peter, James, and John are up there with him. And Peter says, is it good for us to be here? Because Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets are both here. And they're, they're watching what takes place. And if you remember, the Lord speaks during that time. The Lord says, this is my son in whom I'm, I'm well pleased. But he adds to that. He says, listen to him. And here we find Jesus on the Mount of Olives in such anguish, sweating all of this blood and asking his father, Father, if it be thy will, remove this cup from me. And yet we don't see the Lord speak. It's almost as if the Lord has gone silent. And, and I'm telling you, those of you who understand modalism and all that, I'm not going down that road with you today. I'm talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I understand the danger in separating the Trinity, but it's separated to some degree right here because we have the Father and we have the Son, and we have dialect between the two. Even though Jesus is fully divine, He's also fully human, and we've got to see that here. And so we're, we're looking at this and we're waiting for God to respond. Surely God's going to respond and tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, this is my will for you. You knew it from the start. This is why, why you're here. This, you are the sacrificial lamb who's going to be slain before the foundation of the world. We look for that dialogue, but there is no dialogue. It seems like it's just going one way at this time. And you cannot tell me out there, church, this is not, this has not been you at some point in time along in your journey. It happens. And we see not just the divinity of Jesus. Here we see the humanity of Jesus. You see, the truth is this, that Jesus endured what we would never be able to endure. You know, we will never experience the rejection, the neglect, the disappoint to the extent that he did. And I'll prove it to you in just a moment. You know, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus tells his disciples, Something very, very simple. He says, and surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus said, I am with you always. I am always with you. Now that's a promise from one who understands the importance of us never being alone. He's repeating what the Lord has said throughout the Old Testament. You've heard this before. Uh, when Moses speaks to the Israelites, now Moses at this time, he's 120 years old. If you're 120 years old, I'm going to bet, one, I want you to raise your hands. Two, I'm going to bet you're really tired today. 
And Moses is tired and he's being reminded by God that he will not be allowed to go into the promised land. And he's passing the torch on to Joshua. And many of us may think he's come so far, the Lord won't even let Moses enter into the promised land. Look, that's not fair. Isn't it amazing to me that Moses, as old as he was when he was called to serve the Lord, 80 years old and he's just getting started, and for 40 years he wanders across this desert. And he gets angry at one particular time and he slaps this rock. And through his anger, he sins. And in that sin, he is told, you will not be allowed to enter into the promised land. And now here he is outside of Jericho. He's able to go up on a mountain and look into the promised land, but he himself is not allowed to to go in. Most of us look at that and go, golly, who is this God that we serve? That's not fair. I'm telling you, Moses didn't feel that way. This is how we feel. We've been brought up to, and, and be told, and, and we're being told even today more than ever, life is fair. Life is equal. Life has to be fair for everybody. We've got to fill so many quotas. We got to do this and that. I'm telling you, I don't care how you look at that or how you view in that. I don't believe in persecution. I don't listen. I, I, I believe in equality when it comes to, um, position in the way that you are qualified for that position. I'm not going down that road today. What I'm simply saying is I don't care how fair we in our humanity try to make it, it will never be. No race is greater than another race. Absolutely not. Look, life's not fair that some of you are faster than me. Life's not fair. Some of you are taller than me. Life's not fair because some of you are not as heavy as me. Life's not fair because most of you are not wearing your ear on your nose. But I am. Life's not fair. But I want you to know something. Moses did not see it this way. Moses, he's tired by this time. He leads the people for such a long time. He knows what it takes to continue to lead them. And listen, church, he doesn't have it anymore, not in the capacity that he once did. He understands that there are great challenges before them. He, Even though God is going to deliver that land into their hands, it's not going to come without effort on their part. He knows the people. He knows what their challenge is going to be. Their challenge is going to be to trust in the Lord. You know, and the other challenge they're going to have is to trust the new leader, Joshua, the newly anointed one. Moses is at peace with God's plan because ultimately he knows the story is not about him. It's about his God. And I know this because of the way he writes it in the Hebrew. Not that I know Hebrew, but let me give you an example. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 2, he uses the term Yahweh. Now, Yahweh means this. It's the highest and most emphatic expression of a loving and compassionate father. It's similar to the Apostle Paul in the New Testament calling God, Abba, my father. It is in direct correlation. It encompasses so much more than the English language has the ability to encompass. Yahweh means ever creator, always there, omniscient, omniscient and omni- those big words that a Vago Park kid can't say. Omnipresent, omniscient, all those, those things. It encompasses, but it also encompasses this, the specific relationship between a father 
and his children. And Moses says it this way in verse 2 of Deuteronomy 31. He says, Yahweh has said to me, this one who encompasses everything and is so intimate with me. Yahweh has said to me, verse 3, Yahweh himself has spoken, verse 4, and Yahweh will do to them, verse 5, and Yahweh will deliver them. See, Moses has this intimate relationship with his God to the point he pins these words in Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. So as Moses is up on the mount and the torch has been passed and, and all of those people who he has led for 40 years now walking to the promised land and he watches from a distance. I want you to hear something, church. He's not lonely. Moses is not even alone because God is there. Yahweh, the intimate God, is there with him. And then he tells the people, let me just remind you because I don't need to be reminded. You need to be reminded that our God will never leave you nor forsake you. It's a powerful thing that's starting to unpack here. You see, Moses is humble. He uses his life to glorify God, to lead people to God and to the promises of God. But he finds himself on a mountainside. It looks like he may be alone, but God is there with him, and he is not lonely. He's not left. He's not forsaken. Look, church, he's simply done. He's done with his time on this earth. And he knows that. And he's okay with that. Obviously, God has a purpose and plan even after death because who is there at the Mount of Transfiguration? But Moses himself, 4,000 years later, hi. Hey, look, that's Elijah. He came along quite a bit after me. I mean, Elijah's old, but look at me, I'm old. But this is the power of, of God. And God wants all of us to hear something this morning that we are never left alone. You might be lonely today. You might be screaming today. You may be thinking that you're screaming and no one is listening. Listen to me. You are not alone. I, I looked up several of these words, and I'll, I'll give you the definitions in just a moment, but so many of us feel like we're screaming and no one is listening. Now, here's the problem. Maybe screaming is not the answer. Normally, when someone screams, it's because things around them are getting louder. The world is pressing in, so voices are raised to match that of the crowd. We see so much polarization today because everyone is yelling, everyone is screaming, everyone is wanting to be heard. And it's amazing they're being heard, but watch, their influence is becoming minimal. I mean, you can scream at me all day long while our borders are open. I'm probably not hearing I want justice for all. I want liberty for the world. But sovereignty is something that the Israelites had to protect and we should, there is a way, there is a process. And, and many in this, in this church and even, uh, participating with us in Lubbock this morning have gone through that process. 
You can scream and you can get louder and you can say, and I just use that as an example. And, and look, that's just an easy worldly example. But this is what the world wants you to do is to join in their screaming. They want someone to join them, to match them, to hear them. And what happens when someone screams? Normally, unless it's from pain, this is what screaming does. It separates. And we keep separating and we keep separating and we keep trying to justify our separation. It's happened in the church throughout America for years. It's a dangerous place to be. This is why in John chapter 17, over and over and over in Jesus' prayer, he prays this, I pray that they all may be one. You know, screaming causes separation. Screaming is usually, mark my words on this, screaming is usually accusatory. Let's be honest. We're screaming so that we can accuse, so that you will hear our emphatic on our accusations. That's normally how we work. Jesus, did you know he screamed? You ever read that in the Gospels? That that Jesus screamed? Okay, it may not be written quite like that, but I'm going to show it to you today, and I'm going to show you how it brought separation in what needed to be separated. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 45, it says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. Now, Jesus at this time is hanging on the cross. In verse 46 of Matthew 27, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Now, just stay with me. He cried out in a loud voice. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, God, if only you knew. God, I didn't know how lonely this was going to get. And he cries out and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I understand the prophetic voice that he has from Psalm 22 here as well, but this is what's taking place. And you keep reading in verse 48, immediately one of them ran and got a drink or got a sponge, filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Verse 49, the rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And then by verse 50, it says this, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, so this is known in the Greek as a double emphatic, that there is an emphasis here on how loud he cried out. When you go back and you study the Greek, it can mean several things. It means screamed. It means to yell aloud. Watch this. This is West Texan Greek, and this is really what it means. Hollered loudly. You get that one, don't you? And that is true. You can go look it up for yourself, right? So so here he is, and he's yelling, and there's this separation that is taking place. There's no doubt when you look at the separation that's taking place from the cross, life and death is a great separation. Heaven and hell are being separated. Light and darkness are being separated. There is a great polarization. And at this particular time, Jesus, listen to me, church, feels lonely. Now, you may say, well, how can he feel lonely? He just said, I'm with you always. I mean, what, what is going on here? How can Jesus feel lonely? Because he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's scripture. 
He who knew no sin, it doesn't say sin fell upon him. It says he became sin. Now watch, our God is holy. And holy does not look upon sin. And so there's an exchange, there's a separation that's happening right here, and it's God the Father who is holy looking and or actually cannot even look at a son who has become sin. And there is a separation for a moment. Now, like I said, I understand the danger of separating the Trinity to this degree, but this is an example for us to see the humanity of Jesus and for us to have an understanding church an understanding that no matter what suffering you are enduring you have never endured what Jesus has a complete separation from a God who says I will never leave you nor forsake you this is a a, a moment here that 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 Jesus knows he's called for such a time as this He's fully human, but He's fully divine as well. And praise God that He is. You see, the world may forsake you, but I want you to know God knows because Jesus knows and Jesus is God. You see, He is Emmanuel. It's why Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. You are not alone. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You may be lonely, but you are not alone. You see, alone and loneliness, we, we just throw those terms around. They, they don't mean the same thing. They are both adjectives, but they're very different. Being alone is a state of being, while loneliness is a feeling. Being alone is a state of being. Jesus often withdrew by himself alone to what? To pray. To pray. But loneliness is very, very different. Loneliness is, I can be around people, I can be in community, but there is no doubt I still am very lonely. It hasn't fixed my problem, if you will. The great, great scholar Marilyn Monroe stated, it's far better It's far better to be unhappy alone than unhappy with someone else. You see, the more connected we are, oftentimes the more disconnected we've become. In a world more connected than ever, people feel more lonely than ever. There's too many voices, too many opinions, too much noise. Let me encourage you, church. How about we unplug, we get out, we go listen, or what we say here in the church, go pause, go ponder, go pray. You see, it's good to be alone at times, but it's not good to be lonely. The noise around us should push us to that still, small voice of God. Sometimes when it's louder out there, He's quieter in here. It's true. He's in us. We're not alone, but when the world is screaming so loudly, he's saying, my voice is getting quieter. You're going to have to find yourself with me to hear what I have to say to you. See, we're never alone. We're never alone. Hebrews reminds us also, it, it goes back and says these 
Same words in the New Testament that He will never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus in His darkest hour experienced true loneliness from disciples who deserted Him to God the Father separating sin from holiness. Jesus knows your anguish and your pain, church. How do we do this? How do we live this out? Well, let me, I'm just starting this morning. I'm just laying a basic foundation for each one of us to have an understanding of really not only who Jesus is, but who we are in Christ. Is if we have an understanding about this, we can be alone and not lonely. And we can be around people and not be lonely. Because we know that our God has a plan and a purpose, that He knit us together in our mother's womb before we were ever hatched. You weren't. I don't believe in evolution either, but He had a plan and a purpose for you and for me. And we run around as if God only knew my pain, my sorrow, my hurt, my predicament, the environment that I'm in, the job that I serve, the people I try to serve and the way that they treat me. God, if you truly knew, if you could truly see, if you truly are the God of the universe, why do I feel so lonely? Why am I alone? Well, one of the things is we have forgotten, church, what it means to be grateful, to have a heart of gratitude. One of the ways that we feel God's presence is through a heart of gratitude or gratefulness. It's so important that we hear this this morning. You see, Jesus even stated, yet not my will, but thine be done. Because it's in God's will for our lives that fulfillment comes. This is why Jesus said, if you'll come to me, if you'll follow me, then I will give you the abundant life, the fulfilled life, because you're going to know that I am there with you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, so oftentimes, we don't know how to be content in this life. Everything is persuading us to buy more, to have more, to get more. That in order to be successful in life, you've got to drive this, you've got to have that. You've got to have these handmade shirts that fit perfectly when you preach. This isn't one of them. I got this at Bell's years ago. But anyway, isn't that something? We don't know how to be content. And and the danger sometimes is through our contentment, we've become complacent. Contentment and complacency are not the same thing, church. But if we're not careful, we'll say, well, I'm content just to be here, just to stay here and do nothing else for the rest of my life because I'm comfortable and we tend to associate being comfortable with being contented in this life. And that's not what the Apostle Paul meant when he penned the words, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, will these will be, with these we'll be content. See, every one of us here today want to make a difference with the life we have. I know this or you would not be here today. However, I want you to hear this 
Very important as we move from this place and we, we go through this message series. Every one of us wants to be here today. We want to make a difference with the life that we have. But God wants us to make a difference or we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't have been here yesterday. Listen to this. You wouldn't have had a birthday if God didn't have a plan and a purpose for you. And if he does, it would make all the sense in the world that he would never leave you nor forsake you. And this is how I know that because you did not die for my sins nor the sins of everyone from the foundation of the world. Only one became sin. He who knew no sin. So what Jesus has gone through in the fact of being alone and loneliness, none of us will ever touch that. And he's the very one that says, and lo, I'm with you always. Always. I, I see your situation. I see your circumstance. I understand what's going on. I understand it's difficult to have joy in your current circumstance, in your current situation, but you've got to have my perspective which is an eternal perspective. It's the very reason Jesus went to the cross so that we could have eternity with Him in His kingdom. And as we keep our eyes fixed on those things, it should bring joy, it should bring a level of contentment in each and every one of us. You see, God wants us to make a difference to the world and for the world, a world that is more busy, a world that is more connected, a world that has more ways to connect with one another around the world. You got Facebook, you got Twitter, you got Instagram, you got email, you got Messenger. And if you guys keep messaging me, you need to hear me. I can't answer that many. I don't even like looking at Messenger because half the people that message me, I don't even know who they are. And honestly, I don't think they know who I am either. You got telephones. Well, we don't call them telephones. You got phones. We, we've got Skype. We've got, what's the one we were using during COVID? Zoom. We're more connected and yet we're more disconnected and we're more lonely than ever before. You know why? Because it's taking our time. We'll get to that next week. Everything makes an appeal for our time and it's dangerous. But here's the truth. Look, if you're a driver, which I can relate with you because I'm a little bit of a driver myself, right? If you're a driver in life, can you let God drive your life? Can you ride in the passenger seat? See, Christian contentment is fueled by both the constant reminder of who God is and gratitude towards Him for all that He is and for His promises. In your contentment, listen, in your contentment, don't let cynicism find a place in your heart. This is what's happened to the American church is we've become content and said, oh, I love my Jesus. I'll go to church on Sunday. I love Him. But let's talk about Sarah for just a moment. Let's talk about Margaret. Let's talk about Jimmy. Let's talk about John. Let's talk about all these, these people and these things. And what happens is we start becoming cynical about God's people. And, and contentment and cynicism should never 
go together. But they do. This is what happens sometimes. What would have been, what should have been, what could have been. You, you understand that we become cynical too by the disappointments in life. As a matter of fact, inside every cynical person, there is a disappointed idealist. My ideal did not come to fruition. And even though I love Jesus, and even though I have a relationship with Jesus, I'm very cynical about his people, and especially the ones who have been more successful than me. Comparison will lead you out of a place of being content. It's just another one of those tools by the enemy. And God wants us to recognize those things because I'm telling you, church, God knows. All these things that carry us away, media, social media, school, jobs, phones, tech of all kinds, God is still here. The question is, are we? Listen, church, He knows you. He knows you. He sees you. He knows your circumstance. He knows your situation. He knows your place right now. He knows where He determines for you to go in this life. And never will He forsake you or leave you. Would you please stand? I'm going to ask the altar team to make their way forward this morning. And as they do, I want you to hear these words that you are not alone. You may be lonely, but you're not alone. And loneliness was defeated on the cross because truly there was only one who really experienced loneliness to the extent he was the only one. And because of that, he provides a place. And in that place for each one of us, it's in our heart, he is there. Greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. You see, contentment will be found when we're grateful for that. When we have hearts of gratitude, we'll become content in that and we'll say, Lord, I know I'm not alone, but show me where you are. Show me who I am. Show me where I'm going. Give me the next breath. Because as you do that, Lord, I find my fulfillment in you. Because I'm telling you, church, it's not God who moved. He never moved. His words are as true the day Moses penned them as the day Jesus penned them as the day the author of Hebrews penned them. They're still true for us today. If you would like prayer today, I would encourage you to come. If you feel lonely today in your circumstance, in your situation, have someone stand in the gap with you because we are called to bear one another's burdens. So let's do that. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before the Father. And one of the reasons we have an altar team up here is because when someone comes forward, they're saying, I can't do this, but Lord, you can. And I'm on your terms, not on mine anymore. So let him be the driver. Father God, thank you. Thank you for loving us to the extent of the cross and most importantly, to the extent of the resurrection where we will never be alone. We won't even go through the death portal alone. For you are there with us. Your rod and your staff will comfort us through the valley and the shadow of death as well. Thank you that you endured what we will never have to. In Jesus' name, amen.